Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Sattery, joined by my co-host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter, at E. Sattery. You can follow Brendan on Twitter, at Brendan Clean 14. We have a special guest for you today. It's a little different episode today because we we have all this news coming in all of a sudden from this past weekend with the brand night trade. We got back, we got back um, Ryan Anderson and DeAnthony Mellon. Marquise Chris is also sent out. We have a special guest on today from Ohio, Chris Manning, Locked On Cavs host. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks, guys, for, for linking up. Yeah, no problem, no problem. And I think looking at it more and more, Brent and I have talked about this guy on the podcast a couple times just in passing, but now with a deal seemingly imminent for another point guard, because it seems like from Adrian Wojnarowski's report on Friday that, excuse me, on Thursday, that the Suns are still looking for a point guard, preferably a starting caliber point guard. And, and me and Brent have talked about it on text messages before, but on the airways, I wanted to mention that I think George Hill is one of the best options out there for the Suns because we talked about it off the air before we started this, but he only has one million guarantee for next year. And with the Suns desperately wanting to keep that mass cast base available for them, I think it's a huge thing for them. And it's also huge to get off George Hill's contract for the Cavs because they have a rookie point guard, Colin Sexton, who is a kind of a sleeper pick for a rookie of the year because of how much usage he's going to get there. Yeah, I'll, I'll push back on one thing. I don't think it's a bit, I don't think for the Cavs, at least as we're talking about them right now and, and sort of what they're positing about this season, that it's a big, it's a, it's a big deal for them to get off the George Hill contract. I think you, he's making like $19 million this year, which is a lot for what George Hill is. Um, it, it's certainly they acquired him, I think, hoping that he could, you know, start next to LeBron, but he's got, only has a $1 million guarantee for 2019-20. Functionally, he's on the last year of his contract. Um, this is the, a team in a franchise that it, in re-signing Kevin Love and sort of what they're stating publicly that they do feel as if they're going to try to make the playoffs this year. You could, I, I certainly could argue against the the strength of that and, and uh, how the chance of that happening I think could be pretty low. But I think this is a team that right now thinks in, in the weaker conference that it can compete. Not unlike I think what Phoenix seems to be doing. You guys are, you know, can decipher that better than me, but it seems as if they think they're going to try to make a playoff push as well. Um, so it's sort of two teams in that vibe. But if things go really bad for the Cavs, Hill would be one of the guys that I think you'd be. I think Love is going to be around, um, but I think pretty much any of the other veterans, Hill, Corver, uh, you look at. And look, not Channing Fry, but maybe Tristan Thompson, like those three guys, J.R. Smith, theoretically, uh, could be guys they'd want to move. But I think financially, it doesn't matter. And I, I do think, in, in my perfect world, I do actually think George Hill probably starts from the get-go as a two-guard next to Colin Sexton at the one. So I think it's not so much about the rush to get off the money or like, clear room for Colin Sexton, because I think that room is there for him anyway. I think it's just, if it goes bad, why not try to get something back in return for George Hill and give yourself a chance to, to restock a little bit moving forward? So, Chris, if you're the Cavs, um, hearing what you just said, and I, I do think you're kind of right. We were talking about what the guard rotation looks like in general and how there is space for Sexton to come and play right away. But if, if you if you were the Cavs in September before camp, before, as you said, it goes bad, like we haven't seen games, we, you know, this team theoretically still feels good about itself, what does it take what would it take, do you think, for the Cavs to part ways with Hill before the season starts? If it was me, and let's say if I'm Kobe Altman and I'm taking calls from George Hill, which I'm sure that like that is not off the table. It's, I, I think it'd be pretty crazy to be like George Hill's untradeable. That, that that'd be weird. I would I would prioritize two things. Number one, I don't think you want to take on money that would eat up your books beyond this season. The Cavs are not going to be financial players in the free agent market. That's just not what their history suggests. That's not just sort of what we sort of know is going to happen. Um, if there's going to be players coming to Cleveland, it's because they're they're doing, I think, smart 
signings that are under the radar that are they're getting guys like David Nawaba, who frankly it's it's September third and we don't know what he's making at, which is frankly bizarre. Um, but like you're doing things like that and not you know paying a bunch of money for a free agent. You're not paying a bunch of money for a top ten free agent next summer. You still want that money because you want to support. You want to kind of invest money and sort of like what NFL teams are doing with cheap quarterbacks. While you have Jetty and Sexton and these other guys on cheap contracts, you want to get veterans in there on, on higher money deals to support Kevin Love and push for the playoffs with with the cheaper roster around them before you have to build it in the other way. If I'm call, taking calls on George Hill, I'm wanting to match with expiring money and I want picks. The Cavs' war chest and exclusivers is going to be dicey. They have that, that pick that's going to go to the Hawks, whether it's a first in 2019 or 2020, or two second-round picks, and then they owe a, a smattering of other second-round picks. So if I'm them, I want no money long-term, and I want some kind of pick in return. I think the question is, and I think it's a fair one, is George Hill like, worth a first-round pick? Like, Is he worth a protected first-round pick? Is he worth multiple seconds? I, I, I wonder what his value would really be. And maybe Phoenix is a type of team that is willing to pay a little bit more because they, they want that veteran guard, but... I don't know how high his value really would be in the open market right now. It's a fair point because Hill is a guy I know. I grew up a Pacers fan. I just recently moved to Arizona a couple years ago, and I sat through the George Hill for Kawhi Leonard swap, which really doomed that franchise from the get-go. I know they kind of recover from that now nowadays with Victor Oladipo, but Hill is a really good point guard in the right situation. He's a good combo guard. You saw it last year. They tried to do it with LeBron. Made some sense, but... I want to ask your point of view, Chris. What do you think about a guy like T.J. Warren in Cleveland? Because he seems like the odd man out here in Phoenix, and it seems like if they were to strike up a deal, at least start conversations. I think Phoenix, even though, like you said, they want to get back expiring money, the Cavs do only have Jetty Osmond at the small four position. I feel like they could at least try to convince the Cleveland Cavaliers that he could be their forward of the future. So before we get into the semantic of this, tell me if I'm if I'm if you're if you're the Suns front office, if you're you know maybe James Jones is the emissary here because he's familiar with the people in Cleveland. Sell me on T.J. Warren. I don't. I am vaguely familiar with like sort of what he is. I look at his salary number and I'm a little and the and the amount of years he's owed over ten million dollars and I'm a, I'm a little skeptical of that. So sell me. Um, I want to hear both of your pitches on like why T.J. Warren is someone the Cavs should be interested in. Brandon, go right ahead. Yeah, I would. I think to to kind of move it from why he isn't so desirable for the Suns and why he doesn't make sense here, um, I think that argument is why he might be a little bit better off in Cleveland. So with the Suns, you have a guy like Josh Jackson who they want to – and forget even the fact that these guys are young and they want to give them playing time. I don't even think it, it really has much to do with, with who they're prioritizing in the rotation. I think it's really just like an on-court style thing where – Josh Jackson doesn't really make a ton of sense next to DJ Warren. They don't, they, they don't have the shooting that you'd hope for. Um, defensive versatility, Warren's not really that guy. He kind of needs um, some protection there. So we saw with Devin Booker, defensively wasn't great. Um, I think TJ Warren is a guy who probably is like a, a sixth man, ideally. Um, and he's making... You know, he's making more money maybe than he's shown himself to be worth, but not too much. I don't think that extension was awful. He's going into an 11.75 million payday this year, but it goes down for the next summer. Um, it was intended to help the Suns if he's even on the roster at that point. Who knows? But if you if you throw him over to Cleveland, I think the, the roster makes a little bit more sense for him, where Kevin Love, 
obviously a much better fit than someone like, uh, you know, even DeAndre right now next to him. Um, George Hill, I guess, wouldn't be on the team, but they have floor spacing. J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, even Jordan Clarkson, Chetty Osman. Those guys, as we saw with, when LeBron was on the team, they're, they're floor spacers um, much better than anything the Suns can throw together. So to me, I think actually looking through kind of what the Suns have as far as options to trade for a point guard, to me, if you're if the goal on their part is to send out T.J. Warren, which I think Evan and I are in agreement that it is, Cleveland actually makes a little bit of sense from a roster standpoint. What is he good at? He's good at scoring. I mean, he's not. He doesn't really take threes, which is the biggest problem. He's very the, efficient too. Period. He, he doesn't really. He's not an amazing passer, but he's also never really had to do that. He's a you know he's a three four kind of guy that doesn't you know what does he need to pass for? So maybe he has that. He just hasn't shown it. Um, but he's an amazing interior scorer. I mean, he has the floaters and layups and stuff at the at some crazy angles. He's a fun guy to watch when he's going, and I think he has some untapped potential still, even though he's entering his second contract. Yeah, he is only 24 years old, too, so there could be some upside there as far as late into his contract. He could get a jumper going and still kind of save that contract a little bit. And he's big. Like, he, he hasn't been effective on defense because the Suns roster has been a dumpster fire on defense for the most part. But I think, you know, he's a big dude. He could be, you know, a guy who can defend bigger players and switch and stuff like that if, if he's in a system that asks him to. So I think when you think when you kind of describe him – how he's, I think there, there, you could see, I think, that making some sense. And I think if you look at the, the market for, for small forwards in, in next summer, it's not a good market. Chandler Parsons, it could be a free agent. Tobias Harris is, uh, I think, locked up. Uh, Arizo, obviously, you guys know, will be a free agent. You have Damari Carroll, Wilson Chandler, Rudy Gay. You get down to some of the more interesting names, like Justice Winslow. That's a restricted free agent. Um, and you look at the draft, where the Cavs, I would guess, are going to be top 10. And I think that sort of... Interesting path. None of if they end up at the top of the draft, you know what is RJ Barrett a, a two or a three? Which does he profile more as? Um, you know Nasir Little's up there. So you know Sikudu Mumba, who I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but is up there as well. Cameron Reddish is listed as a small forward. So there are options there um, for the Cavs to get like a small forward, but to be a young guy. So I mean maybe they, if they believe Warren is good and they believe Warren projects as worth that amount of money, a cost controlled number that you know is below what Jr. is making next year. Below what Jordan Clarkson's making, I mean that's that's worth noting out, putting out there. Um, that that maybe they take a fly on that. It would be four years of that, and he that that's a little dicey to eat up your cap books that way. But if you believe in him, maybe it makes some sense. I, I, if I was if I was them, I, I wonder if the first call they make is okay. We'll take Tyson Chandler and Troy Daniels as two expiring and a pick, and start from there. That that would be what I would guess the first foray would be. But maybe something like Daniels, and I'm going to check to make sure this works as you guys kind of respond to it, but maybe something like Daniels and Warren and then some kind of pick it would, would make sense for Hill. I would be kind of reluctant on the pick, to be honest, because I still feel like TJ is a valuable asset, possibly elsewhere. I feel like Hill's just a rental player. Maybe you could get like a second-round pick for him. But, Brendan, what do you think about maybe TJ, Troy Daniels, possibly on the fence about a 2019 Sun second-round pick for Hill? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think Hill's worth the first round pick. I think just maybe at one point his talent was, maybe his talent still is if he, if he you know gets back on track this season. But just from a value standpoint, I don't think that we've seen guys like him on his kind of deal get moved for that. But I think the Suns own second. Yeah, I think that could, I mean, to me, Warren is kind of a nice piece too in these negotiations, no matter who it is, but with Cleveland especially, partially because of what you were saying, Chris, about how 
we know this, and it's not like you're, you know, breaking news, but this, the, the Cavs aren't going to go out and get, you know, some superstar free agent next summer for, you know, all intents and purposes. We can assume that's not going to happen. So trading for somebody like Warren and hoping to develop him into some of the stuff he hasn't really been able to do so far in his career, I think that's a nice middle ground. But I think, yeah, I mean, to me, like, Warren Daniels and then, like, the Sun Zone second, I think that that's decent. I know Evan was talking about maybe trying to get somebody lower down on the Cavs roster as part of this too, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a good place to start. If I was the Cavs and you look at the, the back end of the roster, I don't know if there's anyone there that's, frankly, that interesting. Um, Zizic, I, I'm not like – I don't know exactly what his future is, but he is at least interesting. I, I wonder what he sort of looks like as an NBA player. I'm not like tied to him as like a long-term piece. I think Jetty – and Sexton would be untouchable, and those are really the only two other young guys that are interesting. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think you can trade two a guys. Billy Preston, even if I think you could, is just kind of he's very, very raw, very interesting, yeah. and and like has a, that, a very interesting pedigree, but is years away probably from being an effective NBA player. Yeah, um, and if the Suns wanted him, they could have, you know, tried yeah, to could have, yeah, could have tried to sign him as well. Um, what what if what if we let's say the framework is TJ Warren and the Cavs is counter? I think one of the if I was the Cavs and I was saying okay, I'll take TJ Warren instead of Chandler and that is expiring, and I'll take Daniels to make the money work and at least get one expiring on there. Would you? Would you? I mean, I, at least to give yourself some protection, would you consider it too much of a price to pay to slap like two years, like sort of what the Cavs got for Corver, who is like an older guy um, on, a, on a shorter deal, so sort of a similar value in there to some degree. Would you slap like a lottery protection for two years and then it turns into like two second round picks? Would that be too steep of a price? Uh, I, I think so, to be honest. What do you think, Brennan? Yeah, I just don't see the Suns guaranteeing Hill. So to me, it's a one. He is a one. Even if they like him, he's not going to be worth eighteen. I, I just don't see a, a realm in which this is anything more than a one-year thing. So, like, imagine how much it would sting if, like, in twenty twenty, they gave up their number sixteen pick for a guy that played in you know Orlando. Now that would be frustrating. I just think <laughs> that's you know hilarious. I mean? George Hill just going to Orlando next summer. That's like just very funny to me. Because uh, it just seems like it would just see, he's like long and like he fits like their sort of like profile. That could be. And they need a point guard. I could see it happening, but no, I just yeah, I I think that does make sense. But in a in a world where maybe Warren wasn't part of the deal, that could be the primary piece. But for a one year of George Hill, I just think Warren, like Evan said, I think the Suns are eager to get off of him just from a financial standpoint because they want his salary to be off the books next summer. But I do think he's a guy where they. You know, other teams might see him as value rather than, um, you know, the piece that they need just to, to get off of somebody they don't want. What's, when you when you look at what Phoenix, I just, just so I understand, like, what you guys think Phoenix is doing right now. What is the Ryan Anderson thing signal to you that, that they're trying to do? Because I, I just, I haven't had a lot of time to, like, dive into it fully deep and read a bunch of stuff on it. But I'm a, I was a little confused at, at first glance. I really think that it's mostly just them finding... They're starting power forward, obviously. We thought it'd be Trevor Reese, to be honest. We thought that back in July. But now since Reese going to be starting at three, Anderson at four, you're pretty much saying that Jackson and Bridges, all these young guys are going to be fighting for minutes. It's not going to be earned anymore. Marquise Chris, that experiment really failed with Earl Watson starting right off, right off the bat from day one. I really think it's just about instilling a good culture. These two guys are expiring deals. They'll help the young guys out. They'll help them teach the defense they want to do, which I think is aggressive switching, like Houston-esque, sort of say. And I feel like 
honestly, that's a good thing to do because when you think about like Jackson and Bridges, they shouldn't be starting right away unless they really earn it through the season where they could possibly buy out a Reezer or trade Anderson or et cetera, et cetera. But when you look at it from TJ Warren's perspective, when you think about all that microcosm into one thing, that means that there's less minutes to go for TJ Warren. And I keep coming back to him because I just can't see a way where he's playing more than 20, 25 minutes per game with the current rotation. Yeah, I think it's just stability too. I don't know really if it matters too much. I don't think, I guess to put it this way, I've seen a lot of, well, the Suns are clearly pushing for a playoff spot and they'll, they're definitely adding talent, which is the easiest way to ensure that you're going to win more games next year. That's, that's obvious. They're not going to be a 21 win team. And if they are, then disaster has struck, but I think they just want to, they just don't want to have a situation like last year where they're playing guys off of the scrap heap in the middle of the season when they shouldn't have been tanking yet and they lose out on development because of that. So I just think they want stability now adding two veteran starters to a team that should be building through its young guys. I, I'm not really on board with all of it, but I do, I, I can understand from that perspective, like adding players who have been in the league, who have actual NBA skills that will help the, you know, Devin Booker's and DeAndre Ayton's adjust and develop. But I think they've kind of overdone it if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I think the Cavs and Suns are sort of similar in that they're both like trying to be more competent than they maybe are. Yeah. Which is like not a good place to be, right? Like that like trying to be like a more competent version of yourself and overestimating what you can be is not good. because uh, it can get you it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily lead to like disastrous financial situations in these two cases because I like Phoenix obviously has eaten like the the booker I think is worth worth the money. Uh, but you want to take some kind of step forward. But, like, if you try to do too much, like, and, and pay too much, that that's sort of the problem. And for the Cavs, like, I, I like re-signing Kevin Love, but it's also possible that, like, in two years, like, his deal is sort of tradable. Or in a year, it's, it's sort of tradable. And, like, they just hand the reins to Sexton and Osman and, like, whoever else they're drafting in the next two years anyway. Um, when you look at the rest of the point guard market out there, are there, like, other names that you guys are more interested in the Suns getting and, like, maybe paying more for? Just to kind of, like, I just want curious if you think there's other names out there at, you know, theoretically higher prices that, that would also make sense here. I feel like Terry Rozier makes a lot of sense. I would offer kind of a lot for him, even though that's kind of risky with Boston, with Danny Ainge. But Terry Rozier, Kemba Walker makes some sense. Damian Lord is there, but very unrealistic. Corey Joseph makes some sense for Indiana, I feel like. But I feel like George Hill is in that top three, top four, as far as my preferences. Maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, too. Yeah, Goran Dragic is the other one that I'm sure like national fans have on their radar for the Suns for some obvious reasons that he's been a Sun twice, but also because he kind of makes sense for what they need and the familiarity with uh, the new coach, Igor Kokoshkov, of course, helps. He played for the team that Kokoshkov took to the Eurobasket Championship. But, uh, yeah, I think the reason that Hill and some of these other lower-level names, like even a Corey Joseph, kind of seem a little bit more exciting to me is because I don't – I just don't know what this roster is. So to, to go all in on a point guard, and then what if you're just still a 42-win team? That's the – that's the struggle for me. I don't see somebody out there who's just a surefire. Like now I feel like the Suns are a playoff contender or even a championship contender, of course. Like I would rather bet low on somebody, give up a little bit just to, again, kind of add to that overall stability. 
avoid what happened last year where you bottomed out and it was a super frustrating season where no one, none of the young guys necessarily even looked great. Um, I would rather just kind of go for a hill and have some, somebody competent there and then, you know, see what happens. Now here's an interesting one for both you, Chris and Brandon. I've been playing about the trade machine for the past few minutes while you guys have been talking trying to make TJ Warren work in a deal that doesn't include um, like another player outside of George Hill. If you want to throw like Ante Zidic into the deal, it's nearly impossible to make salaries work without throwing in a guy like D'Anthony Melton, who I really like. I want to get your thoughts on D'Anthony Melton as well, Chris. Just like a deal like TJ Warren for taking on his long-term salary, you give up TJ Warren, Troy Daniels, but in the rights of D'Anthony Melton for George Hill and Ante Zizic. I would do that. Okay. I would do that. Just I, I think Melton. Yeah, Melton. Like you give me a guy that like like is a very interesting prospect at a like wi- at the wing instead of like Zizic is sort of a traditional center in a way that is like I have no idea how he exactly fits, and I think it's like way too early to know. Even if they're like he's had some really good moments and had some really kind of scary moments um, in terms of how he's looked as and how mobile he looks. I don't know like a ton about Belton because I watched very little college basketball. I had very little time to watch it last year, but everything I've read about him from people that are smarter than me and have like sort of projected about him, I am very. I would do that. I would. Melton is like interesting enough as a prospect where I would probably do that. And like because if maybe Warren just ends up being like a, a six man, and maybe him and Rodney Hood are like overlapping to some degree, but like. I don't know. Like, maybe that means you don't play Jordan Clarks as much, which is probably a net win, you know? Just you don't want as many guys just taking crazy amounts of shots on the floor. Um, yeah. So, I, I, Melton would – Melton would, would that would be, like, interesting if Phoenix would do that. Because, like, I don't – Zizic, like, maybe projects as best as, like, a, a good backup center in the NBA. And, like, maybe that's interesting to have behind Aiden because, like, he could mean you don't have to play a completely different style when Aiden sits. But that would be an interesting thing to me considering, like, Melton was probably, like, the – the thing they got the most credit for getting in the Anderson trade. How about this? Let's, let's, uh, we don't have to go player by player, but to think about it from a perspective outside of a pick, is there anyone else besides Melton from the Suns collection of young guys that you, know, you might not be like incredibly familiar with all of them, but Elliot Kobo, Davon Reed, who was the number 32 pick in the 2017 draft, even Dragon Bender. Are any of those guys getting the deal done on instead of a pick on top of Warren? Bender scares me um, because I just feel like he, he just isn't anything right now. Every time I watch the Suns, I'm just sort of confused by what he's supposed to be supposed to be. So that yeah. that kind of scares me a little bit. Um, Reed, I don't know anything about, so you could try to summon him. And any anything about point guard is just sort of it feels like why when when you have Sexton, like the point of getting Sexton is to be like your next lead guy. So like someone like a Kobo, like it is really interesting. It may be like having two young point guards isn't a bad thing in this NBA, but like that seems like not like a position necessarily of need. But why would is Reed at all is there upside to Reed? Um is there something that differentiates him enough from I mean I, I do think the Cavs have like a glut of shooting guard type guys that are younger if you include Nawaba in that list as well. So why why would Reed be interesting? I think I think he has some upside as a ball handler, which has always interested me. He barely, he basically didn't have a rookie season. Um, so we're, we're operating off of like two year old Miami tape and then summer league at this point. But yeah, I mean, he's probably the least desirable out of those guys, if I'm being honest. But I mean, he's a big, big guy. He, 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 you know, he's probably a two positionally, but he could easily defend bigger players and, and handle the ball. He's just, kind of an unshaped thing but he's he interests me but i understand if you know he's probably not getting the the you know baton over the line for the Cavs. 
Yeah, I don't know if he. I would rather have um, at that point. I, I think I would rather have like a second round pick at that point. If you're talking about, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, like I would. I think it, I think I'd be cool with with Melton. Um, I'd be intrigued by that. I think I'd maybe I'd rather that than a second round pick. But Bender's kind of a no go for me because he's, you're you're near the point where you have to pay him or think about paying him anyway, and that's kind of iffy. Um, obviously, I think Bridges would be like a no go for Phoenix, as I, and I think that's very fair. Um, you know, Rashawn Holmes is is fine, but like not really a need for the Cavs at, at power forward. Uh, and Reed and everyone else is just is kind of fine. So I I would, but I would probably definitely do Melton and um, and everything else we discussed there. If Melton was the sweetener, I think I, I would do that. And if, if I'm the Cavs, like again, like, I don't I don't think George Hill is someone you don't trade just because like you're you want a mentor for Colin Sexton. I mean, I think he helps in that regard, but. Um, I, I don't think he's someone that should be like a non-tradable piece for this team. Evan, would you really give up Melton, do you think? I would only do it to get off TJ, to be honest. I prefer really not to because obviously me and you are both really high on Melton. So I've been crafting up a separate deal, not including TJ at this point. So the Cavs won't be taking on a long-term salary. But I think that's honestly is the most realistic deal we've thought about so far. Tyson Chandler, Troy Daniels, 2019 Suns unprotected second-round pick for George Hill and Ante Zizic. I would, I would be less inclined to give up Zizic if I'm not getting like a young guy back in return. And Zizic, like, and it, I don't know how highly what the Cavs exactly think of Zizic. Um, I, I know he was he was like the sweetener in the in the in the, in the Kyrie trade um, for them. Like it was sort of like an extra thing they got there. So I I don't know exactly how deeply they value him. I'd be that's that's fine. I I think it's I okay. I almost would prefer like getting Melton if you if it gets you Warren. If if you get Melton and you take on Warren, you just kinda see how that works. But I do think something where the Cavs don't take on long term salary would be more likely. And and maybe Zizich is like a throw in piece there. But um, I also don't know why the Cavs would necessarily be in a rush to do it. I, I I and I don't know how like the, the Robert Sarver thing factors into this, but I I mean is there a push for him to like just to, to do something to get a starting caliber guy? And in McDonough's case, is there like a push there that could sort of give the Cavs some leverage to work with here. That means like they're maybe paying less to facilitate this than they might otherwise. I think the whole league is kind of looking at them and thinking it's September 3rd and you just traded the only point guard on your roster. Um, so from that perspective, I think you could, you know, whip up some, some leverage, but I don't, you know, not server. I don't think I doubt that they would have done this trade if that was a problem to me. I kind of just assume that there's something cooking, but at the same time, like we're, we're doing it right now. There's not like, an obvious guy who's been on the market all summer that the Suns are going to go get a deal done for. So it's, it's a weird situation, but I mean, I don't know. I, it's also tough too. I mean, Evan, what do you like, do you think the Suns value Melton? It's so impossible to tell because they, ha- they haven't even signed him to a deal. This is just like the rights to a guy that they didn't draft. It's impossible to know what they think of him. It really is because they took a Kobo ahead of him, so they obviously value a Kobo more than Melton, but they could have seen Melton at Summer League and thought he was a top 25 guy on our board anyways. Okobo was top 15, top 20, so we took him instead, so why not get two rookie point guards? But the more I think about it, the more I feel like Melton could be a part as a sweetener in a deal to, t- to take on the salary for TJ Warren. So that deal we talked about, Brendan, do you, would you be comfortable giving up DeAnthony Melton, even though we just got him, just the right to DeAnthony Melton, to get off that four-year salary of TJ Warren? Oof, that's I. I feel like I feel like the Suns would. I feel like I wouldn't, but I'm always hesitant to. I, I overvalue young players. I think in general, especially for the Suns, just 
because they don't have a star already. They're not in that position to be, you know, putting all their chips in the middle of the table. But I think that judging from the need for a point guard that they obviously created for themselves with the original Knight and Chris deal, I think that they might actually do that deal. I think considering that they didn't draft Melton, they haven't signed him. They could have done that already, right? If they really knew that they wanted to keep him, we probably would have heard that they signed him to a deal already. Yeah, the, de- the deadline, by the way, for second round picks is Wednesday to sign. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, you know, they still could, but it's also been four days since they traded for him. And uh, so the fact that they haven't yet, or at least we don't know that they have yet, strikes me as an interesting part of this. So I think they would. And if Chris agrees that he would do it from the Cavs' perspective, then, you know, maybe that's the most realistic option. Yeah, give give me the young athletic wings that I can have, as opposed to like a, a center type like Zizich, like any day of the week. Like, give me the young athletic wing guys that I can like figure out later. That, like that's yeah. like a certainly like there's issues with that approach, and like guys can like not develop properly and be sort of, of limited. But like I would rather have that right now. Um, let me try to build and, and Melton together could be awesome. Could be really annoying, really annoying for other teams. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, and maybe, and if Kyle Korver's around, like maybe having Kyle Korver like mentor them on shooting is like not a bad thing either. That's a good point there. I feel like, if I'm not mistaken, aren't Korver and Smith only partially guaranteed for next year? Yeah, I would. JR's partially guaranteed. Korver has like a very small, like three million dollar guarantee. And I, I think it's possible both are gone. Um, I mean, Korver's already been linked to Philly. I think he makes a lot of sense for a contender that needs shooting. Um, but I, and I, I almost, I almost think out of the, the, the guys that they have that are tradable vets, I almost think he might have the highest value just because you, even if you know, he's going to struggle against a team like Golden State, you know, his shooting is just going to be so valuable. Um, and I, I wonder if that's the guy that can get the highest price for as opposed to hell, especially because his salary is also just like significantly lower than someone like Tristan or JR or George Hill. Yeah. Evan and I were talking about Corver as somebody maybe to be included in this deal before we got on. I just think he doesn't necessarily have a spot on in the rotation for Phoenix. But do you think they could buy him out and just pay that whole 2019 salary in March? If he asked for it, I think they would probably think about it. But um, he's he's someone we have not heard from yet post LeBron. And like he, when we get to media day in a couple weeks here, him and Jr. are sort of the two guys that I am most fascinated to see what they have to say. Channing Fry chose to come back. Kevin Love signed that contract. Uh, so J.R. Corver and Tristan are the three guys that I think are very much unknowns on this roster right now that we don't know. Like everyone else is sort of like we sort of understand why they're around or like that they're just a very limited amount of time and, and have value. Corver is sort of like the guy that I, f- I feel like they would want to do right by him if he was like, get me to a winning situation. And, and I feel like the Cavs would probably try to comply to that. But I don't know. I, I think we need to hear what Corver has to say and if he does actually give like an honest answer about it when he is asked about it. Now, as we're, we're going to wrap up today's pod because we've gone, we're about 30 minutes now. So any final thoughts as far as the deal from Cavs' point of view or the Suns' point of view? I'll start with you, Chris. Just, do you think it's possible that we could see a deal like we just constructed now be really happening in reality here soon? I think it makes a lot of, I think it makes a lot of sense if, if the Cavs are, it, it, there are some unknowns here. We don't know how long the Cavs are at Hill right now. We don't know, um, what, you know, how actually, like much Phoenix would value Hill or sort of like what these teams would sort of be looking for. I think in theory, this is one of those things that does make sense for both sides. If you sort of, you can center on the right price. And I really do wonder like what the, like a, a blow bubble of like what the negotiations would be. If, if a deal were ultimately to happen, would be really fascinating to read in my opinion. Yeah. I would say from kind of looking at it from the sun's perspective, 
I think they're, they would be happy to do something like this without getting rid of actually looking at it more too. not getting off of a, not having to get rid of a second round pick to me is pretty interesting because I've been frustrated actually with the Suns. Now suddenly they're a team that's almost like pick weak. They don't have a lot anymore after having so many for, you know, a few years. They did that Mikhail Bridges trade and everything and now they're a little, a little weak on it. So to give up Melton, who, I mean, I really love, I think he could be awesome. But again, you know, there's a lot of wings on this roster. So get off of TJ Warren, create some extra 2019 cap space that they just lost by extending Devin Booker. Um, and then getting somebody to stabilize a point guard rotation is, is exciting to me. I think all that stuff without having to dip into the best assets, yeah, they weren't going to give up like their own first rounder in 2019. That's obviously their best asset, but without having to even talk about Josh Jackson or something. There's a lot of point guard trades that the Suns could consider where you're going to get into those names quickly. So I think Hill's a nice happy medium where they can kind of get two things done at once. And uh, the deal that we created kind of does that. All right. That'll be it for today's episode. Appreciate you all listening. We'll be back with you guys on Wednesday for a new episode.